I got out of hospital and I was going to take a marketing job and my mum and sister bought me a ticket to see Heston Blumenthal live when he was in Adelaide and I went to see him and I was just about to finish my diploma and when I saw him I just I left in tears I was just thinking why am I giving up this this job this is the deep in the weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep People will travel large distances for quality chocolate, pastries and desserts, but what are the foundations required to deliver on that and furthermore, maintain profitability too? Alex Crawford is a chef and owner of The Sugar Man in Adelaide, South Australia. Alex, how are you? Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to get you on the show. You're making quite a, well, you have made quite a name for yourself there in Adelaide um, with the Sugar Man. How are things going at the moment? Yeah, really good. Um, not there. It's, it's hard work for it, to be honest. I'm the only one in the kitchen. So what you see on the weekend, it's all me, and including the chocolates, that's all me. I don't have any staff except uh, for my lovely wife who helps out and uh, my mum who occasionally helps out. But yeah, it's just me, myself and I. Well, uh, you're a little bit different for a, a food business in the sense that you're not open for many days. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah, so everyone comes up to me and says, that's such a fantastic idea. You know, you, you're creating demand. You're you're trying to create this lineup. And it's like, fuck no, that's not what I'm doing. It's literally so I can survive, so I can breathe. Um, I can't. I can't uh, if I did it every day, I'll just die. There's um, so we change the menu up every weekend because you know I create a rod for my own back and I love BDSM for myself, so I have to do this. And we change up uh, pretty much based off of what we can get in terms of market produce, that kind of whole shebang. So um, at the moment, like last weekend, we had um, you raid the berry farm. Uh, pick some fresh raspberries and I just said bugger it we're going to do a raspberry tart and so that's what that was the idea um, however in saying that we have to practice the recipes and make sure it tastes great so we we're I'm pretty much working seven days at the moment so Mondays and Tuesdays are my test days and sometimes if it doesn't work out Wednesday's also another test day but pretty much it's um, it's it's constantly yeah, it's us just constantly working and obviously working on our chocolate business at the same time so yeah it's it's a lot of hard work but I do love it it's it's been always been a passion of mine and but yeah I'm just glad that we've got our own bricks and mortar and we can showcase a little bit of South Australia with every bite why did you land on this this model, you know, like going solo like this and having the small sort of time frame of being open and changing the menu all the time? What, what, oh, look, it's what, hard to say. Look, I'll be honest. We've changed our times four, five times in first time we've when, since we've opened. So it's it's kind of changed as we've gone along, and it's based off of what we could, what I can do for my own time frame. Um, and I want us to produce a product that tastes great and I didn't want to compromise. I'm a complete perfectionist and I'm a, I, and I, yeah, I, I want to deliver something that tastes great. So I wanted, I had these time frames so I could deliver that. And also knowing that, um, we, we wanted to deliver, a, a, a pastry that you could say, oh, that comes from, the almonds come from Taronga in Fluro Peninsula. And that's awesome. You can grab raspberries from Uradler. You can get apples from uh, Lenswood. So we wanted to sh showcase that. Um, but yeah, we it's been a tough time. It's been really interesting in terms of 
what we've had to change in terms of our openings. So we, we were open from Tuesday to Sunday and then we thought, okay, two days were really dead. So we took that away. Um, so, yeah, it's just been an evolving time being a business owner and learning your own feet. Well, you uh, right amongst sort of the creation part of the week at the moment as we're talking. What, what's what's a typical menu, you know, for, for a week? Do you, can you give us an example of everything that you would have available? Yeah, so, look, we, we normally do four to five, sometimes six max, but that just depends if I want to make my life a living hell. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we do a, a croissant tart, which is pretty much exactly like a, um, a short crust tart, but it, it with croissant pastry. And we either fill it with, um, we, our top popular item is using a Bass cheesecake, which we use from my good mate, Stephen to horse chocolate. He's um, a mentor and a great mate, and he, he makes possibly one of the best Bass cheesecakes in Adelaide. There's, his, there's your plug, Stephen. Um, so yeah, he, he gives us his batter, we fill it up and it's just like the best Portuguese custard tart, but with cheesiness and it's just, yeah, it's still got that little goo in the middle and the outside's crispy and flaky. That's probably our biggest popular item, but, uh, our almond croissant's always a good one. That's always on our staple. Uh, we use Taronga almonds from Fleury Peninsula. So that's from the filling to the, the frangiton on top and to the almond flakes. It's all uh, uh, all Willunga grown almonds from Taronga. They're a beautiful family and they grow incredible almonds. But other than that, it just depends what we can get and also what uh, what I feel like. Like if it's hot, if it's a hot weekend, we're going to do something a bit more refreshing. If it's going to be a little bit more cold and rainy and chilled, we'll do something a bit more warming to warm the soul. What is it about sort of desserts and sort of cult followings and stuff? I mean, you've got a bit of that going on there in Adelaide. What does it take? How does that come about? I have no fucking idea. I honestly, I have no idea. I'm winging this as I go, man. I, I have no idea. And I hope for the best. Cross my fingers and hope for the best. Um, look, I think people need, at the moment, it's, it's a shit time. Everyone's just gone through COVID. Everyone's had this kind of crappy environment. It's, and especially with the downturn and the economy is a bit iffy. People need to pick me up. I mean, here's a fact. Um, with 9-11, chocolate sales went up 300%. So it's one of those everyone chases a sweet time to feel good. Obviously, there are some people that don't like sweets and they might go for a savoury option. That's cool. But mainly people want a sweet time just to get a pick-me-up, a bit of an endorphin rush and just go, yeah, things are going to be okay. Well, I want to explore what you're doing with the Sugar Man in detail shortly. But take us back to when you were young. Whereabouts did you grow up and what sort of role did food play? Yeah, so I'm Adelaide born and bred. Um my grandmother and grandfather on my mum's side, uh, they owned their first deli in Marion. So where there's a massive Westfield, there used to be just dirt and vineyards and they used to own a little deli. So they sold groceries, they sold little like deli items. Um, and then after that, they did uh, catering for private jobs. Um, and then after that, they owned a fish and chippery. So... Fish, fish was fresh from uh, Howlett Cove around that area. So everything was filleted. Um, we're coming from a fishing background. Um, and yeah, all the chips were um, fresh. So it was, they used to peel them through a rumbler, rumbler, wash, put through the chipper, wash again. They were the original Heston triple cooked chips. So they would cook them first, 
cook them again and then triple cook them again to get them extra crispy. So when I told my grandmother, hey, this is a cool recipe, she goes, yeah, we've been doing that for years. We know that. <laughs> um, but a lot of people used to come to their place for um, fish and chips. They were the known destination. Um, but other than that, my grandfather used to bake custard tarts and pies and pasties um, uh, for the deli and for the for the the fish and chippery and all that kind of jazz. So he was self-taught. He came out of the war and he just said, bugger it, let's open this up. And uh, the whole family was involved. Um, so, yeah, that uh, and after that, um, my uncle owned a bakery. It wasn't an inspiration for me from that, but it's been it's he owned a bakery for a few few years and um, my, my, my cousins were involved with that as well. So, yeah, it's, it's been uh, my, yeah, a bit of involvement with uh, my family in HOSPO. And then after that, my mum worked as a director of marketing at the old Mount Lofty house in the 80s. So that was a big thing. Um, so mum's been in HOSPO for a while. She's, she's the absolute powerhouse. So, yeah, I, it wasn't one of those that mum would push me to go into, but she was ve- she's always been supportive. And she knows how much I love food and cooking since a young age. Um, but how I got into food, I was the pickiest shitty eater of all time. I would not look at a salad or anything and my mum just got desperate. And at the time, there was a cooking shop called Pete and Pepper in David Jones in Adelaide's. Um, it was just in down below uh, David Jones and they did kids cooking classes. And my mum just said, oh, for God's sake, get him to eat something, please, please get him to eat something at least. And I went and I loved it. I just, and I went, I was the most returned student. I went, uh, I think it was about 21 times I did children cooking classes to the point, to the point that Pete, Peter Milosevic, who was the owner and chef, he said, just do the adult classes. You don't, don't drink the wine, just sit there and, and you can help me soup. And, and so, yeah, I did the adult classes. So, yeah, so that was about age 11, 12. And then after that, I said to mum, I really want, I was about 14. I said to mum, I want to get into the hospitality industry. I want to, I want to be a chef. And um, she says, are you sure? It's not the, it's, it's a tough gig. And I said, no, 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 I really want to. This is, this is what I want to do. She goes, fine. At, um, we know uh, Nick Papazariakis, who is a veteran restaurateur in Adelaide who owned Chloe's Restaurant on, on Cape Town. And um, he's a family friend. And she says, look, go to Nick, ask for some, t- some jobs or if, if he has a job or if you want to do some work experience. And so I walked in and he said, he said the exact same thing. Are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure? And I, he goes, he goes. The, it's it's hard. It's you're, I'm not going to lie. And I said, no, no, no. I want to do it. And he goes, well, a shift's not going to hurt. Go in. Uh, come here at this day. Uh, have, wear long shirt, long pants, uh, covered shoes, and prepare for some hard work. And I said, yep, no problem. And I rocked up. Uh, he wasn't there. And Johnny Triscari, who was the head chef at the time, he um, he said, welcome to the kitchen. Uh, let's get you on some. Uh, some stuff. We, we, I'm going to show you how to debone quail. And I said, sweet. Uh, and then I just asked really interesting. I just asked questions. I was just like a sponge. I said, is this a fully grown adult quail? And he said, huh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> and yeah, he, and then after that, he showed me to fillet salmon. Uh, we used to get fish in 
whole. So everything was um, filled. We used to fill everything, not like these days where you can get it all filtered. Uh, but everything was used for stock or we used it for Amos Bush. But yeah, I, he, it was thrown into the deep end. And he said, do you want a job? And I said, yeah, that would be fantastic. So um, I started off as dishy. Then I worked my way up to salads, side dishes. And, um, yeah, in the end, I was learning how to do all these different things, stocks from uh, veal glass, glass juice and we're doing um, oh, pastry from puff pastry to sorbets, ice creams. It was all – everything was made fresh and everything was made from scratch. With everyone, including your mother, telling you it's a really tough gig as a chef, what was it actually like for you in those years, if you look oh, back? Oh, fucking tough. It was – it, I'm not joking. They, I, I looked. I was 14, but they treated me like a 20 year old. Yeah, it, it was. It was really tough. The, it was a great support team, and Johnny was one of the best chefs. But yeah, he he would he would push you, and I needed that. But um, yeah, it, there were times where you'd after service you'd you, you did about 10 hours, and I'd just be shaking because the adrenaline after, and you'd finish at about 12, and then you have to go to school the next day. So, yeah, it was – but I tell you what, I learned a lot about it. I mean, for the restaurant at the time, we're talking that um, Nick had this uh, 19th century cottage that was converted into a kitchen. I mean, he had artwork from, like, Louis Tanner and we – yeah, we had, like, originals, like, art gallery. We tried to uh, buy it off him and he's still like, no, nah, I won't let you have it. Uh, the wine cellar had 25,000 wine bottles at one time, including Petrus's, you know, um, Rothschild's, yeah, Lafitte's. There's some fantastic wines in there. Um, so it was – the best thing about the restaurant is it was old school, but I learned so much from being in an old school kitchen. It's one of those that every, all the dockets are written by hand. Everything was made to order. Everything was um, plated to order. Everything was done. Like it wasn't pre-made. I think the only thing that was pre-made was obviously confit pork belly or the confit duck leg, but everything from beef fillets to everything, it was all roasted and pan fried and basted and monteed to order. As you began to build your career, what were the really sort of important venues and people that helped sort of shape that? Definitely Chloe's. That that was the biggest one because it was you have to put in the effort to get like it was one of those. I had to I had to work with a team, and if you let down the team, you let down the whole service. And so that was the best one. Uh, but after that, I think the best one was one of the chefs that I worked with was Donna Clayfield. She was the she can do everything. So she was a pastry chef at the time, but she could jump in and do all the entrees and mains and follow the dagger and she, she can jump in. She's that good. But she, yeah, she took me under her wing and she was like the mother that, that I needed for the kitchen. She was, uh, she helped me and supported me and she got me into pastry. So the best thing that people go, how did you get into pastry is I was in the shit with all the chefs at the front doing entrees and mains. It was hot. It was, it was pressure but then you go to the pastry section. It was like Chopin was playing the conductor, the 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 the, the Picasso. She was everything like from the souffles to the fondants were baked to order it. But all the mise was in front of her, and it was just baked. And she was cutting cheeses for the cheese uh, uh, plates. So yeah, it was it was one of those that I went. I like this side better. I, I get this side much better than I do the behind the stove. 
You spent some time away from South Australia, sort of in commercial kitchens as well. Tell us about the impact that that had on you. Uh, it was great. I had only worked in a restaurant. Uh, so, I, so I left Chloe's to concentrate on school. My mum said to me, I don't care what you do, but you need to finish year 12. You can go into hospitality after you finish year 12. So um, it was that was the priority. That was the main priority. I finished year 12 and then I had a bit of a gap year and I said, okay, well, I want to work in some places that aren't in Adelaide. And so Johnny Triscari worked with a guy called Martin Glutz, who was the uh, head chef at Vanitas at Versace restaurant in Gold Coast. And at the time I had two chef's hats and that was run, the whole uh, hotel was run under yeah, Steve Spazzo. Uh, so, and that was... Uh, phenomenal. It was one of those that you go from a restaurant to a hotel. It's a different aspect altogether. So, yeah, you, I, I find that it was not – everyone knew your name at Chloe's, but when you go to a Versace, you're like number one, number two, number three, number four. Yeah, you, you're, you're a number, not really a person. But it was still one of the most that I learned a lot from. Like, I, I Even when I was at the Versace uh, hotel the, at Vanitas, they – showed me how to do desserts and I was still in, so that's pretty much where I kept leading I just thought okay I have more of a passion for desserts so we learned how to make mousses and uh, yeah but everything was done by a ruler we had to I remember we had to cut beds of rice for a main and it was all done by a ruler so it had high Michelin high Michelin standards um, and it yeah it was it was phenomenal I remember I rocked up for a shift there and it was only a couple of weeks but it, we rocked up and they were they had fresh truffles from France and they were shaving and they were doing a truffle tasting and that was just a phenomenal and they were trying all these different truffles from black to white and they were trying to choose what they were going to use for the service. So yeah, it was a big it was it was interesting and and to go from and the high the quality ingredients was phenomenal, um, the truffles to the. The scallops to the lobsters, yeah, it was and the chocolate, phenomenal chocolate. You cut your teeth in a savoury kitchen, but you made that sort of transfer over to pastry. Did you have to think about your craft differently and the approach to cookery? Yes, I would say that. So Johnny at the time was trying to. Uh, he wanted me to be that overall chef that knows all from pastry to. Boning, um, like boning a chicken and a duck, and using all the whole carcass and no waste. And then he goes, "Oh, and also you'll make ice cream and bread and all that." When me, I just wanted to do the bread and the pastry and the ice cream and the cho and tempering chocolate. I didn't want to do the rest. I found that was my comfortable. I found comfortable. So if you gave me, it, so Johnny would say, "Let's create an Amis bush for tonight's dinner," and he goes, "We're going to use this." I wouldn't know what to do. But if you gave me a list of ingredients to make a dessert. I could do it easily. It was it was something that came naturally to me. Um, but yeah, I I, I found that you, it was it was still in my mind that Johnny said you need to learn to do savory. You need to know these skills. So, but I'd say cementing that at Vanitas that I wanted to be in the pastry section. Has has that sort of understanding of savory cooking helped you in the sweet world? Absolutely, because I think you sh it, it's one of those you have to have a, a palate for all these types of uh, utilizing all these ingredients. So you have to have that palate. So and also those skill bound. I mean, even if I'm in pastry, we still do a savory.
we break down most of our so if we do um we're looking at doing a duck pasty and so i would still break down whole ducks to make the sauce with the bones and exactly how johnny taught me so yeah it was important and i still think and i still think it's important for in my opinion it's important for pastry chefs to learn that because it's not just sweets because especially in pastry you 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 need to know all these kind of stuff pastry is such an exacting art art form do you have any stories of sort of trials and errors and misfortunes as you've sort of created things where do i start jesus there's been so many flops um we there's been i tried to do a beer flavored macaron that was horrible that was i tried i tried to do a coup it was with um a Cooper's uh, beer, and I just I tried so hard, and it was just so yeasty, and it was it was horrible. It was not great. And yeah, there's what other ones have we done? But they, we tried to do uh, creme caramels to order every morning because all everything we do in the shop is baked in the morning. So the custard, like the custard tarts or the um, the bars, they're baked probably about a couple of hours before service, so they're nice and warm, and the pastry still crisp. Um, so. Yeah, we tried to do a creme caramel tart and it was it just kept splitting and it was just I had to tweak the recipe so many times until we got it right. But yeah, that was probably about uh it'd be about four months work trying to get that recipe down pat. Yeah, it it it, it just kept it was I wasn't happy with the texture. So either it was too rubbery or it split or it was too oily. It, so yeah, it, it, it came down to the fact that um, there are some that I'm still working on some stuff now. Um, I won't say because it may not ever happen. Um, but um, yeah, but you never know. It, but what's oh, what other ones have I cocked up with? Um, Oh, sourdough donuts. I've had some terrible responses on that because that's just, yeah, they, I've had one that turned out brick, almost like you fried them and they're like bricky donuts that taste sour. They're horrible. Yeah, there are things that you, you, it's like anything. As you said, it's a science. So it can easily tweak one day that it works and then another day it doesn't. Well, as you were sort of learning your craft and finding your way with your own uh, things, um, were there any sort of was there a moment of success with a dessert or a pastry, you know, that you really nailed that you can tell us about? I'd say the bass tart. That was that was a, uh, one of those you go fuck it, let's just try it. And 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 Stephen's the best. He's just like, sure, it's your ass, it's not mine. <laughs> so, and he goes, you just got to make it taste good. He goes, I'll just hand you know, you're, you're representing us both. It's it's your ass. So I said, all right, fair enough. So when I made it and we did it as a tar, it was, and I made it, I, we both tried it. It was one of those that we looked at each other and went, yeah, this is going on the menu. That was probably the the best. The texture's just mad. Um, it's just beautiful. It's silky. As I said, it's just it's just great. So it's slightly sweet, salty. Um, it's perfect for anyone that doesn't like too sweet sweets. Um, what else have we done that's been a slam dunk? Um, oh, probably our sausage rolls. We do a sausage rolls with our croissant um, dough, which we which we recently did with um, Africola. So we did a peri peri chicken um, uh, sausage roll with our croissant dough, and we served that with Africola's peri peri sauce. That is banging. That was that was 
that was awesome. Even Duncan comes in, and he goes, "Dude, this is pretty sick." So no, that was that was pretty fun. Yeah, there, there's a myriad of reasons. I mean, there's some that we've used with ingredients that you just go, this just works really well. Like the raspberry tart with your Raidler berries, um, our almond croissant we're super proud of, um, especially with that they come from a, such an awesome family like Taronga. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's always something interesting happening out of this kitchen, both strange or weird, uh, or and but hopefully we're just hoping that it comes out to be delicious, which is where it, the, 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 the TNC of trialing it every week comes. You, you set up a wholesale bakery there in Adelaide. Tell us a little bit about the creation of that and what you were doing. So we, uh, I, I'm entirely self-taught. So I've never actually had any formal training. Yes, I've worked in a couple of restaurants and I've done some experience there, but I've never actually had any experience in pastry except for just learning on the job. Um, the, hardest, the hardest part about doing pastry, especially in a wholesale industry, is when you're selling to cafe owners, um, they want something to last five weeks. They, they, yeah, they, like you sell, like I remember selling macarons to a cafe owner and they only last maybe five days and he had them in the fridge for about three weeks. So that, yeah, that was where I got to the point. I went, nah, fuck this. You, this is my reputation on hand. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And I just burned out. I was just working so many hours and it was all, again, it was all me. So uh, I'd get up at about two in the morning. I didn't have a retard approver. So I was proving in my oven and then spritzing and turning it on to, uh, to heat up to about 26, 27 degrees, turning it off and then heating it up again and then spritzing it for humidity. So it was tough. But, yeah, it was a learning experience. Uh, I'd say, it was the best learning experience because I, um, I knew where I went wrong and I knew what to do next if I ever – but at the time I didn't want to go back into it. Um, I really burned out and I was just tired. I was, it, it's honestly, it's like you, you, I didn't have a reputation at all. So a lot of it, I had to just cave into a lot of cafe owners. So it was one of those, um, you just, yeah, you just learn to deal with it and try and make as much money to cover rent and electricity and to at least put some food on the table. So, Yeah. The, the burnout took its toll on you and you ended up closing that business. But how, how did you manage that burnout and get on top of it? I didn't. I honestly didn't. I, it took me ages. I, I'd say at my partner, who's now my wife, um, she, she really just said to me, you need to, you need to calm down. You need, we need to do something like either travel or, yeah, you need to get your head out of the game for a bit. And so we made a decision to go see her family in Italy. And I went to Italy and I was just, yeah, submerged into the culture. We were there for about a month and a bit. And, yeah, it was stunning. We went to the Gelato Museum. We did a, a gelato course, making it all from scratch in um, Bologna. That was phenomenal. So, yeah, I learned a lot there. We went to a couple of places in uh, Rome and Florence uh, to about chocolate, and I just fell in love with chocolate. That was the one thing I just saw. We were in a Roman supermarket, and there was this, like, little, you know, we have, the, uh, like, a case of just American candy and chocolate. It was so small, and I was surprised for um, – I was surprised that – 
all this American confectionery in a Roman in in Rome, where it's all near this tourism and hotels. That it was so small, and it was all local chocolate bars. So it was a bit. It was the best Italian way of saying "go fuck yourself." You either eat my, you either eat our chocolate or nothing. <laughs> and I love that. It was so great. Um, and I just, and it was really cool. Some really interesting flavors. So I mean, most of it was pure Monte hazelnut. So it was. We only use our hazelnuts, and that's what you get. And some pistachios from Sicily, um, uh, Bronte, Bronte Sicilian pistachios. So. Yeah, it was really cool. And I just came back and I said, why isn't anyone doing this with local Australian produce? There's like, I, you can get some interesting flavors, but I wanted some to really pop the brakes and to do some interesting stuff. So I came back and started up my own chocolate label. T- tell us a bit about what, sort of what you created and the, the sort of bumpy road of COVID and how that changed things. Yeah, so uh, we came back in 2018, started up our own chocolate label and we did flavours like um, marmalade on toast and we'd use local sourdough toasted in Dairyman butter from the Barossa and we'd make our own marmalade using my grandmother's 64-year-old orange tree. And everything was – we tried to keep it as authentic and fun in terms of flavors, but using South Australian produce. There was what we did an espresso martini chocolate bar using espresso cello, which is now Unico Cafe from Unico Zello in the Adelaide Hills. So it was like a coffee liqueur. Um, What else did we do? We did an apple pie flavor using apples from Lenswood. We'd make the pie pastry using dairyman butter and local uh, – a kangaroo island flour so all the pastry was just single origin so as much as we can so yeah those are some of the flavors what else in terms of chocolate bars did we do we did a fairy bread one um we did a pavlova we've done a summer pavlova which is still on our menu now along with the marmalade um yeah we did a caramel slice tweeval cream for the caramel uh, same thing with the biscuit crumbs, dairyman butter, and we use the KI flour. So yeah, it was. We tried to keep it as fun and with lots of textures uh, and something. It was almost like a dessert in a bar was our motto. But then, but then after that, we had COVID hit, and um, a lot of pa- I was just posting pastries on Insta just just for fun, and um, yeah, we just thought, why don't we do a pastry box to deliver? And, um, oh, you there? Hello? Oh, there you go. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we did a pastry box with all these pastries in there. So, it was, it was, um, what you see is what you get. So, it could be almond or a lemon meringue croissant. And we did, uh, our own Sugar Man Eats as a delivery point. So, yeah, that was, that was an interesting time. And then we just saw there was, um, there's some prosperity here for the business to grow and we could and we were trying to find a site and yeah then we we found hut street for about two years later and yeah in 20 it would be in the end of 2021 and we found it signed the lease and now we have a little permanent hole in the wall let's talk about chocolate for a second because it's you know a lot of people love chocolate but there's the confectionery side and there's like real chocolate tell us about what it takes to make great chocolate? I would say starting off with a great chocolate because it's like it's like having um, 
maybe like a it's like a shit like a shit roast dinner or a shit meal. You can't have crap meat or you can't have crap vegetables. You got to have you got to have a good starting point and then you can build the flavors. So that's the chocolate itself. To me, we use Valrona. I love Valrona. I think it's a fantastic chocolate. Um, their single origins are just to die for. Uh, so yeah, we start off with it. It's I think good starting point. Great, great chocolate. Even if you make, I would love to start making our own, but unfortunately, that's just something we have to do down the track because machinery is not exactly cheap. So we're just trying to build it step by step onto that. But for the time being, we we use Varona, and then uh, I'd say start with a texture. And that's how we do our chocolate bars. So we start with something that has to be a texture because if you just have something that's boring, you're not going to go back to it again. And you're going to have a couple of slices and you're like, yep, that's cool. But if you've got a texture, something that's an addictive texture from a crunch to a gooey or something, anything that kind of that kind of addictive texture to it that makes you go back, then we think of the flavors. So uh, one of ours is we do a crunchy croissant chocolate bar and because it's buttery, salty, and then we pair it with a, a, it's almost like a milky dark chocolate, about 50%, it makes you want to go back for more. So it's not too sweet, it's not too dark, it's got crunch, it's got salt, and it just makes you go back for more. And that's how we start off with our flavors. So the big thing I'd say is good chocolate, then pair a texture, then start, then go with your flavors. Where do you see things going at the moment? You've built this incredible brand, but it's very much a one-man show. Do you have plans in the next sort of two years to change that? Uh, look, next year we'll have to get some staff. I'm I can't keep going the way I am, uh, and we need. I would like to expand my hours as well, and also have some time with my wife. Uh, that would be nice. So I would have to get some. I'd like to get some staff and uh, have a day off. But yeah, I would just, I'm going to do it day by day. I don't really, I have some ideas and plans in terms of what we, what we can do for products and what we, a service we can provide, but I don't know what the end goal is in the end. I'm just taking it day by day. Well, uh, it's amazing what you've created there. What, what do you love about what you do? Um, being able to put smiles and faces. That's what everyone says. I think every pastry chef says, oh, we're all people pleasers and we, or a lot of chefs say that. We're all people pleasers. We just want to make people happy. But in the end, I'm just glad that we can showcase a little bit of South Australia in what we do. I love what we do here as a state. I think we have some of the most amazing producers, farmers, artisanal handmade. Um, uh, yeah, I, it's one of those that I'm so proud that we, that what we do here and I'm just glad that we can represent, hopefully we can represent a good product. Well, Alex, it's an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a part of your story and can't wait to see what you do next. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate being on. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>